I like to tell stories. That's yeah. the way I was brought up. You That's know, cool. when you know, I, I think it's just such a disservice to you know young children and elderly nowadays yeah. in this culture because you know, so they're so disconnected. Yeah, you know, I remember being with my grandparents, being very close, and they would yeah. tell stories. Yeah. You know, and they would tell stories. No books, just they would tell stories yeah. about their life, about the neighbors, about what happened at the war, what happened, you know. So oh my gosh. Just, yeah. Hello, my name is Anthony Esser. And my name is Miles Woodfield, and welcome to our podcast, Better With You. Here, we bring together people from all walks of life to dive deep into unique stories of how friendships can shape and guide us for the better. A good friend is family that you find along the way. I actually didn't like him when I first met him. <laughs> anyway. It's beautiful to have friends. So you're pretty much the greatest friend I've ever had. Aww. All right. Um, well, welcome back again. Um, I wonder when we were in college together, um, I know you were only a couple hours away from your family. I was... A handful more um but we weren't neither of us i think we're going back to visit a whole lot um actually that was the point of me moving away a few hours so they wouldn't come exactly exactly (laughs) um but i i feel like college students like regardless of their instinct to like run away from family um often find themselves building family around them um and so i wonder like i mean i know a little bit of what your experience like that was having i think uh, been a part of that process for you. You certainly were a part of that um, family that I built around me. But um, could you speak to that a little bit? Like, what you know, how to, did you find yourself doing that, and what was that like? Uh, yeah, I think the best way to describe it for me is that I am desperate to find community around me wherever I go. Um, and when I went to college, uh, I I have a tendency to know a lot of people when I am in a place but when it comes to real strong dedicated friends i keep that group very tight and very small um and you are one of them congratulations good news um, and there 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 are yes gold star <laughs> um there are there are a few others who you know um and really the main people who i put into that group when i was in college are the the, the four members of our band when we were when we were playing together um and really through that I mean, we were part of other groups together as well, but but the, the four members of the band themselves, who ended up being my wedding party, uh, all four of them, and um, you know, all four, you know, all three of us became Pat's wedding party, and you know, I was in your wedding party, and you know, there's there's a, I imagine we're going to be in Nate's wedding party, <laughs> and you know, there there's a, there's a, um, a sense of camaraderie that we leaned on each other because I think that all four of us in the band were just saying this is the nice way as, as I can, we were all equally messed up. And I think that the, the concept of approaching uh, friendship and uh, companionship with that brokenness at the forefront of things and the honesty that goes along with that really, really helped me progress because I didn't have to hide it anymore. Um, there was this, uh, uh, book by Alexander Solzhenitsyn and he talks about getting arrested during the Russian Revolution and he says before you're arrested you are scared you are watching your every move every every minute of every day you are you feel this anxiety and you can't shake it you're always afraid you're going to be arrested until the moment you're arrested 
you feel intense relief because then it's over with and you don't got to worry about it anymore. So the idea of being able to have a conversation with you and say, look, this is who I am. This is my brokenness. This is my fault. And say, you know, that the, the, the catharsis in that um, it really was something that I valued when I was in school. And um, it really helped me through a lot of hard times. And um, I, would, I, I know very, very factually that I would not be here if it wasn't for you guys. Well, that's nice. I appreciate uh, our friendship giving you the relief of being arrested. <laughs> Souls and needs to arrested. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you gave me the <laughs> the pleasant complexity of a Dolstoyevsky family. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think that's 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 true. Uh, yeah, uh, it was nice being able to be honest and to have that support. Um, certainly, there was a lot of dysfunction in our college-aged uh, chosen family that we we created. But um, I talked to my mom about some of the family that that she formed around her. She found some really important kind of motherly figures um, when she immigrated from Italy over to the United States, um, who helped her not just to kind of integrate, but, um, but really to feel grounded and, and to be able to relate. And, and, uh, I think she has some, some really interesting stories to tell. So I'm happy to share with you today. I know your mom and I respect your mom very much. So I'm really looking forward to this. So this is my mom. My name is Lucrezia Esser and, um, I am, uh, 51 years old and I'm a mother of four, um, Wife of one. <laughs> I know it seems like amateur hour to interview your mother, but after leaving behind her family to come to a foreign country, the friends she made played an especially important role in her life. Lucrezia moved to the United States, Maryland in particular, just outside of Washington, D.C., from Italy, when she was 18 years old. She had already graduated from a high school equivalent art institute in Italy. But in order to apply for college and qualify for a student visa, she had to attend an American high school and receive credits in English and American history. Especially when you first came over and had to kind of retake high school and stuff, how was it blending into those to those groups and dynamics? Yeah, well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Lucrezia was older than most students in her high school and came from a different culture. She lived and worked with her cousins at their deli, and it was through them that she met her first really close friend, who was almost 30 years her senior, Mrs. Adams. She just was a really good friend. And she provided that motherly figure and that really good friend figure. And she was the one I went to when I met your, um, my husband, your father. <laughs> um, um, that's the person I went to to mm-hmm. ask, uh, what do you think? Yeah. And she saw something good in him, and she said, I really like him, Lou, you know. And I could see that was just a little different. She was really out, you know, um, outgoing and was, you know, she's from upstate New York, and she just got this loud voice and mm-hmm. loud laugh, and, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and I could see that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily like her, mm. you know. It just one of those people that... Um, just kind of hard to be around if you are a particular type of person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
but I enjoyed her, you know, I, um, and I could see that, and I could see that in people's faces, in people's attitudes, you know, when she was around, I felt that, but that made me like her even more. So when I went through things with my cousins, I, did, I didn't leave a good standing with them. Um, she was the one who stuck by me, you know, and, and I guess she saw what was happening, you know, mm. and so she, you know, she helped me, you know, sure. through that. And um, so even more, I think, she became even closer friend because of what she saw that was happening. Yeah. So she kind of stepped in there to kind of lift that burden off my shoulder as I did with her when she was going through. So it was a very mutual thing. It was just a beautiful, you know, friendship that grew over time. Uh, I wonder one of the things that struck me that she said was, you know, she decided to stick it out with her husband. And I wonder if that spirit is was part of the reason that your friendship lasted through maybe you going back and forth to Italy. You'd kind of mentioned that despite distance that your friendship persisted with her. I wonder if that spirit of like loyalty and perseverance, if absolutely. that was something that mattered. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know. It was this spirit of loyalty and a deep mutual love that made Mrs. Adams seem a part of our family. She'd show us kids her dulcimer and use her sturdy hands to guide the delicate wooden hammers across the strings. She was quick to let us try and tell us how well we played. When we got older, she'd ask about our lives in the deeply interested way only a grandmother does. Mrs. Adams passed away about a year ago. She remained close to my mother and dear to our whole family through the very end of her life. A friendship that was very, very dear to me and still is, um, it was um, Maria Pia, and I say was because Maria Pia has passed away, and so Mrs. Adams. So Mrs. Adams had uh, um, a beautiful death. God took her in the middle of the night. Um, and um, and Maria Pia had uh, Alzheimer's, so. Um, you yeah, miss Maria them. Pia, huh? Said you miss them. Oh yeah, of course. But you know, <laughs> it's um, it's beautiful to have friends um like that because in my heart they're in a good place. And now, whenever I go through, I still ask for them to pray for me. You know, so they're still my friends and they're still part of my life. So, uh, talking to my mom was, was great and it was wonderful hearing her stories, but, uh, it, it certainly gets heavy in, in, in her talking about losing these really close friends of hers. And, um, but yeah, how have you experienced that sense of like loss or, or mortality? Um, not in good ways, I, I would say. Um, I, I don't, um, because of, like I said earlier, when I have a lot of friends, you know, you sort of 
hear a lot about people who you have shaken hands with or had a drink with or, um, you know, given a hug to. And um, it's always, always, always hard, uh, depending on how well or how little you knew a person. Uh, I think about my dad. When my dad died, he um, left behind a lot of unfinished business with a lot of people, uh, including me and my brother and my mom. Um, and, you know, the the sense of, like, 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 with me and you, if I were to die in a car crash tomorrow, God forbid... I know that our relationship would be a sound and that it would be a closed door and that we would be okay. And um, the problem is that not everyone has the insight or the ability even to get right now instead of get right tomorrow or get right the day after, you know. And um, that really, for, for me, it's not so much of a sad thing. It's just more like a, I, I wish we could do this now. You know, because sometimes it's just like having a conversation. Um, like, how many conversations have you and I had where, you know, we weren't talking and then, you know, like, oh, by the way, I still love you and I still care about you, but you really pissed me off and you did this. You know, and, and that, that sort of thing, like, those little conversations, some people can't have that and they never get past it. And so they stew and they stew and they stew. And then you're 56 years old, you know, having living in Virginia, having two sons, you know, talk to and an ex-wife and then you die. And what do you got, you know? And, um, that's, uh, that's sad. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And, and I don't want to get heavy, but like, um, I guess I wish that people would have more honest conversations more frequently. Yeah. I think listening to my mom talk about her friends, you know, and listening to you, I mean, it gives me a lot of hope. I, I hope that, you know, people listening to these stories re- reflect on that same thing and that we all kind of try to live, um, in the moment and understand what's important you know is it more important to to be right and to you know fight tooth and nail until an issue is is the way that we want it to be or is it important to to have peace and and uh and and love between us and um you know not that there were huge conflicts in these relationships my mom was talking about but she you know kept them well enough and and the way that the these women's lives ended um I think was, um, you know, not only okay, but it was really beautiful. And, and I hope for the same thing, you know, for only for my friends and, and for my family that we can have that, like looking back that same, that same peace and hope. I agree. Yeah. Mrs. Adams wasn't the only mother figure to enter Lucrezia's life. Maria Pia was also from Italy. So besides being a friend and a mentor, she served as a connection to Lucrezia's home country, her culture, and her values. I received a call from the salesperson at the townhouse development, and she said, oh my gosh, you know, Lucrezia, I'm sorry to bother you at work, but there is this lady with her husband here, they're trying to buy, buy a house, and, uh, and she's from Italy, so I thought I could, you know, to be someone that, you know, she could, um, you know, someone from her country and Mm -hmm. you know she just moved here there her husband is in the military and retired from the military so anyway so I called her and uh, I introduced myself and it was and then they came over and and she was just the sweetest lady you know yeah what do you remember about her well I remember I mean she was just so she was like a 
a prototypical like little nonna, like grandma, you know, she yeah. just loved on you, doted on you when we would come in and she just kiss your cheeks and, and yeah. hold you. And yeah. I, re- you know, obviously I remember she used to always say to me, Oh, my little president. And she yeah. just was always convinced I was going to grow up. Anthony, Anthony's going to be the president. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I remember like doing leadership things in high school and bringing that up. They're like, "Oh, like this lady, man, she knew I was, I had some kind of leadership potential in me, and that was really important." And, but I think that's so like a, I mean, you know, that character of like, just that not only unconditional but really passionate love, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that that you have as well, and that maybe is a little bit of a characteristic of our Italian (laughs) heritage, you know, is that there's no hiding it, you know, but she was so affectionate and, and, uh, you know, she fussed too. She's like, uh, you know, yeah. In up and up in things. And yeah. Yeah. You know, she was great. Um, she loved cats. Yes. Yeah. She loved cats. The cat lady. I remember Uh, her house had all kinds of knickknacks and, you know, yes. Though Lucrezia had gotten married and had children, laying roots in the United States, her mother would still come to visit, and got to know these women who meant so much to her daughter. Whether it was Mrs. Adams and Maria Pia, those were the two that when my mom would come and visit, when she would leave, she would say, you take care of my daughter. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Anyways, so um, they did a good job, you know. They were yeah. always there, kind of, uh, you know, watching. And um, Though both women cared for her like a daughter, Lucrezia describes the healthy boundary she had with her friends and what it was like when they got together. They were not intrusive. I was not intrusive in their life, and they were not intrusive in mine, yeah. you know. Uh, there was a lot of respect in that. Um, I didn't have to be in their business, and they didn't have to be in mine. Um, it wasn't about, you know, the nitty-gritty things yeah. of life. Um, we got together, and it was just simple. Mm. It was just, we would have a meal together. Mm. Um, uh, we would just hang out, and we would be talking about, um, when we were all together, we'd be talking about just the general things. and But then when, you know, we would have more of, you know, one-on-one time, then a little bit more was shared. But um, very, you know, just just really nice um, um, mutual understanding. Oh, my gosh, I remember one time when she... Um, so her daughter got married, and then she um, had a baby. Her first baby was Anthony, and uh, I'm the godmother of Anthony. And Anthony was came home from the hospital. Maria Pio is calling me at 2 a.m. saying, Lucrezia, this baby won't stop crying. Oh, my goodness, there's something wrong. You need to come. And I said, okay. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. I got up and I went to their house and and uh, and I'm you know trying to figure out what the deal is. He was breathing fine. I mean everything was fine except he was just screaming and then I touched his belly and it was like really hard. So mm. 
anyways i helped anthony you know really himself from you know he was little had some issues there with his bowel movement so oh and maria pia stood there and carefully watched me you know do this and and she's like oh my goodness lucrezia I cannot believe, no wonder he was so unhappy. And she's like, oh my goodness. And I just <laughs> It was hilarious, you know. And I, I was surrounded at 2 a.m. with, um, you know, uh, Angelica, her daughter, and Dennis, uh, Angelica's husband. And there's Mighty Appeal. I mean, the whole family, because they lived together for a while. And so it was hilarious. And I just, you know, after he went and it was fine, everybody was happy again. And I went back home and, you know, your father didn't even know I was gone at that. (laughs) 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 When I woke up. But those are like the little moments, you know, um, it just made made it even more fun, you know. Lucrezia remembers her friends with such joy. What struck me talking to her in this moment was how that joy continues when she went on to describe walking with Maria Pia in the end of her life. You know, she sat with me uh, one day and um, in my living room and she started taking papers out of her purse. She said, Lucrezia, they're telling me that I have Alzheimer's, that I have, I'm, I'm sick, you know, and, and I have this, but I have all these papers here. She started taking out papers out of her purse, mm. saying, I am not, you know, I'm telling you, it's my husband that, you know, uh, is, is accusing me of being sick because he has someone else, you know, mm. and... And I knew she did, because uh, Angelica had told me, and I just assured her, I said, it's going to be okay, you know. And um, again, you know, it was one of those things, you know, you just didn't say much, you yeah, know, but right. you were there, you listen, and just, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Uh, so when then, uh, when I got the phone call from Angelica that she had just a tr- made a turn for the worse and you know that she was you know doing things and they were losing her in a in a store and what have you you know I just you know we were t- I was talking at that point more to Angelica than I was with my Aunt Pia and so um but then you know she was at hospice and so Angelica called me and she said my mom is at hospice and so I went to visit her and the first time I went to see her she was not speaking mm-hmm. you know uh, she was really out and uh, so I called the priest and you know he met us there and you know he prayed with her gave her the anointing of the sick and um, we all received communion, you know, it was beautiful. And then, um, then a couple days later, um, I got a call saying, um, Angelica was saying, oh, Lucrezia, you need to come back. My mom wants to see you. She just came to it. And I told her you were here yesterday, she said, and she couldn't believe it. She said, no, she was not here. So she wants to see you. Mm-hmm. So when I went back, Maria Pia had, um, she was sitting up in bed. Uh, She had, her older daughter had braided her hair. I mean, she looked like, 
And I entered the room and I'm like, oh my God, it's Lazarus. I'm like, <laughs> my hip here, you know, you're, <laughs> you're well. <laughs> What's happening? And she laughed and we laughed a bit, you know. And uh, she said, oh, Lucrezia, you know, she was very lucid. Yeah. Like she, yeah. you know, knew who I was. She talked to me. Yeah, well, tell me about what you talk about. And, uh, well, you know, she was like, how you doing, Lucrezia? And I said, I... I'm fine, you know, I'm well, you know, I just don't get out much, you know, <laughs> I feel like I'm, you know, I told her I felt like a, the, uh, uh, a nun, you know, in a convent, I don't get out much, my happy. I'm like, Tony took me in the woods, and now I don't see people. Really <laughs> <laughs> so we to where of, your house is in the yeah, woods, right, yeah, right, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's, uh, so we just laughed, and, um, um, you know, she didn't say too much. I said, your hair looks nice. You know, she said, yes, my daughter, can you believe? And she was happy that her daughters were there and everybody was visiting. And um, and then I guess there was, you know, there was the visit, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next day, um, or maybe it was two days after, then I got a call and I went back with my um another priest <laughs> and uh you know father swink um went up to the um, uh, hospice with me and um and so we you know we just he gave her she, he just prayed over her and um i received communion on her behalf um and so that was the last, you know, that she was, and then she passed away uh, shortly after that. During, you know, the visit in hospice, you know, we prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet, we prayed the Rosary. So in that uh, aspect, I was able, because of, you know, awakening that I've gone through in my faith, um, you know, a few years ago, I was able to bring that, and it was such a peace, you know, for the daughters, for the family. And um, so I was glad that I could do that yeah. for them. Um, so then, you know, we're back at the funeral mass. So Angelica asked me to read um, the uh, scriptures. And of course, you know, it had to be the Lazarus, you know, get up. Lazarus, you know, that's yeah. what I was reading. So, of course, I looked up to Angelica and and she was just, just her and I looked at each other we just laughed you know and uh, uh, so you know just uh, you know yeah there's sadness you know when when you talk about those things but it's um there seems to be so much joy too yeah though. yeah 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 absolutely um you make new friends, other friends, and they will never take the place of that. Yeah. So that's that. <laughs> yeah. Lucrezia has a way of weaving together sadness and joy, accepting life for the complex tapestry it is. She lives in the moment, but looking back, she's able to find meaning and identify moments of growth in her life. I asked her how all these women, who've obviously left a mark on her, helped her to become the woman she is today. Having them, having 
friends, they were, um, you know, especially Mrs. Adams and Maria Pia, they were older. And I think um, they were, they provided that um, mentorship for mm -hmm. me, you know. Um, and I think we can all use a more mature friend. But they served as that to you. They served as a mentor. There were things you Absolutely. admired and, and wanted to grow in, so different traits that they had. Sure, you know, absolutely. What Did was you... the maybe one, was there like one or two words, just the big traits that stood out to you that you admired in them? Loyalty and... Um, and love. So... Uh, my mom talked about some of the things that she looked up to in these friends of hers, you know, they were kind of motherly figures to her. And, and so some of the ways that they, um, the important things that, that they emphasized to her about loyalty and, and, uh, and friendship and, and how to be, um, you know, I think about looking at my friends and my good friends, I admire them. You know, I, I try to think of the things that that they do better in me. And those are the things that I try to keep in the front of my mind, um, whether they're much older than me or, or not, or even younger than me. Um, because I find that that admiration um, is something that keeps people together and keeps you grounded and, and humble and, and, uh, and learning. And, and uh, so, yeah, I'm curious about your experience with that. Do you have people you look up to and, and what's that, what's that like for your friendship and connection? Yeah, it's a um, kind of a complicated thing for me because um, when I was in school, I definitely admired you and uh, my other friends um, very much. I, I, I even though I was older than you, I I looked up to all of you in a such admiration um, with your apparently you had your head on straight um and you, you know your intelligence and your 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 commitment to the faith and commitment to each other and i really really found a lot of solace in knowing that your uh your consistency would definitely help me get through things and i really appreciate the consistency um especially when i was inconsistent what got weird though was that when i graduated uh so i graduated before you guys um, I got married the month after I got graduated, after I got graduated, after I graduated, <laughs> you got uh, graduated, you were there. Man. Uh, I don't know if you remember it. I do remember. Uh, there was a wedding. There was a lot of champagne. I was there, yes. um, there was a lot of champagne. You were there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then we got pregnant about a month after that, uh, with Ruby. So Carrie and I had to grow up really, really dang fast. And apparently what happens is. I have become sort of like the grandfatherly role of the group, um, and I notice when I when we get together, I sort of have a tendency to call shots. And I don't know if that's like necessarily my personality or anything, but I feel like people are starting to look up to me, which is amazing to me that I can sort of use your example to help you guys get somewhere that you want to be. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm yeah sounding crazy here, um, but like. It, 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 it's just a bizarre experience for me because I've always thought that you guys were the ones who were sound, you know, and you guys were always the ones who were incredible, but I still have friends calling me for advice and that's, that, that's humbling and amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, and you're getting married and, and having Ruby and, you know, starting off in, in parenthood. I think we definitely 
me and other of your friends looked up to you and, and especially in starting our own families, um, you know, to that example and to what, what we can get through as, as people and, and how to deal with struggle and strife and, and not having and having and, and, uh, but I, I think it started before then, too. You know, I mean, that's an easy example to point to. And I do point to it because, you know, I've talked about before, you know, how I was around um, when Ruby was born and, and the things that I learned kind of living with you guys going through parenthood that I brought into my own parenthood. But um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I looked I mean, there's a reason I became friends with you in college. You know, I think I looked up to your your boldness and your capacity to um to connect to people, your lack of fear with, um, meeting a new person or, um, inviting a neighbor for a drink. Um, and I still look up to that. It still inspires me to, to connect and to not be afraid to, you know, even as extroverted as I am, you know, to leave your, your not only just your individual silo, but your click and your comfort zone and, um, to speak boldly with passion. I mean, there's a lot of things about you that I admire. Um, and I find other friends, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I, I hope that I try to find things in people that I admire that I, um, and those are the things that I, that I cling to and that keep us together. You know, it's, it's never fun having a friendship where you feel like you're the one in power who's better and lording over people all the time. I don't think that's a real friendship, you know, um, a friendship is reciprocal and reciprocity takes both people being humble enough to, to receive, you know. And, you know, I think what, what, you know, a lot of friendships are like marriages. Like there's some days when I talk to you that I'm giving 10% and you're giving 90. And there's some days where you're giving 90 and I'm giving, no, I'm giving 90 and you're giving 10. And, um, you know, the, the, it, it's just, you don't talk about that power dynamic. You know, it's not necessarily power. It's more like give a shit or give a damn in the moment, you know. And sometimes it's really hard to like do that. And then you kind of lean on your friends in order to get you through that. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice talking to my mom. I think, um, you know, we're talking to each other as peers and, and she told these stories about these women who kind of functioned as mother figures to her. So, um, I think there was still a a friendship that was reciprocal, um, which I found to a certain degree with my parents, uh, you know, people who are obviously mother and father to me, um, as we, as I become an adult as well. Um, but, um, yeah, there's something really rich and beautiful about the mature friendship that they have that I'm beginning to get a taste of as as people like you and I and our other friends um, start to grow older and, and have um, more years under our belt. Um, so I look forward to the to the future of that and hope it's as rich and beautiful as, as uh, some of these experiences she's described. Me too. All right. That's it, folks. All right. Better With You is hosted by Anthony Esser and Miles Woodfield, with help from Pat Hicks and our creative producer, Sarah Bisha. Music in this episode is by our co-host, Miles Woodfield, on The Mandolin. A special thanks to Andy Bisha and New Radio Media. Today's episode was edited and produced by me, Anthony Esser. If you like the show, remember to give us a review on iTunes and follow us on social media at Better With You Podcast. Thank you for listening. Making this podcast is so much fun. It is always better with you.
be a friend to me, it means to, um, to protect your friend, um, someone who, you know, can tell you the truth, even when it hurts. Um, and a friend is someone who will love you no matter what.